0: This is Global Tennessee, news, analysis, and commentary from the Tennessee World Affairs Council in Nashville. Global Tennessee is produced in association with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The World Affairs Council is a nonpartisan, non educational association, and the views expressed on Global Tennessee are those of the participants. Welcome to the June 16th edition of the Tennessee World Affairs Council's Global News Review. I'm Patrick Ryan. And I'm Dick Bowers.
1: And I'm Jillian Schalblum.
0: Today we're going to uh, talk about the top five topics in the news from the past week. Uh, But first, let me introduce our guest host today. Uh, Jillian is uh, a Nashvilleian went to uh, Yung Fog High School and is currently enrolled at Wellesley College in Massachusetts, a uh, prestigious institution. Uh, congratulations on uh, your freshman year at Wellesley and welcome back to Nashville for quarantine and lockdown and stay at home and uh, everything that we're all uh, all doing. Um, Thank you. Jillian has been uh, at home since March when classes uh, went out. And uh, we, we welcome you to the uh, World Affairs Council staff as a volunteer. Uh, Jillian was on the Academic WorldQuest uh, team, a program of the World Affairs Council, uh, last year, uh, representing Hume Fogg, and was a winner of the Tennessee Championship, and went to Washington with uh, her teammates to represent the Tennessee World Affairs Council in Washington. And uh, Jillian, uh, any a uh, couple of words about uh, that WorldQuest experience in, in Washington?
1: Oh, just that it was absolutely amazing and solidified my decision to be an international relations major at Wellesley. And it was just the best, you know, the best time ever, <laughs> got to well, go Pat. <laughs> <laughs> it,
0: was, uh, it was a great uh, visit to, um, to Washington, Japanese embassy, the U.S. Institute of Peace and a number of other uh, places, uh, think tanks and then got to compete in the uh, the championship match and then off to Wellesley and, and now you're back in Nashville and we appreciate uh, you coming uh, back to the World Affairs Council and uh, working with us on our communications and social media and education outreach and all the things that we uh, like to uh, have volunteers help us with. So so thanks for that. Oh, uh, my pleasure. Uh, Dick, uh, over, over to you, if uh, you want to introduce our topics today. Well, we got five topics, as usual,
2: Pat, and we'll start off with the uh, global COVID update, see what's been going on with our virus around the world. Uh, and then we're going to switch to the U.S.-Iraq strategic talk. So we have created stirred up a hornet's nest with some of our recent actions in, uh, in Iraq and People wanna get this thing back on track. So talks have begun. And then there's something called the Global Peace Index and they issued a report last week and Jillian will take us through exactly what that report says and why we should pay attention to it. And now the fourth topic is the fact that the US civil protest, Black Lives Matter, I Can't Breathe, All of the protesting that's going on in the United States is resonating around the world. And countries in Europe particularly are looking at their way of having done things in the past and whether or not they have some statues that really shouldn't be up or not. And we end up with uh, talking about press freedom under attack, particularly what's going on in the Philippines when a rather egregious law was used to silence an an intrepid reporter in the Philippines. So those are our five, Pat.
0: Great. Uh, Before we get into uh, our first topic, Jillian, uh, I I think uh, you're gonna take us through our What in the World weekly quiz question. Just a reminder that uh, every Monday morning at 10 a.m., you can receive the uh, quiz, uh, 10 questions, uh, to see how well you're keeping up with uh, current events, international events. And uh, Jillian, I know you're a you're a regular quiz taker. Yeah, uh, I took
2: yes, that sir. pattern. It was this was a hard one? I did not do very well on it.
0: So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jillian, why don't you share with us what the question is this week? And at the end of the uh, uh, the episode, we'll we'll give the answer and and uh, help the ambassador understand his geography.
1: <laughs> All righty. Poland has said an incident where their troops occupied an area across the border with this country was a mistake, but offered no explanations as to why soldiers took up positions near a chapel and turned away visitors. And uh, do I read the options as well, Pat? Sure. Uh, It's going to be A, Belarus, B, Czechia, C, Hungary, and D, Slovakia.
0: Great. Well, uh, we... um we uh, read, read everything uh, that we can because we do turn this into a podcast. So uh, for those of you out there who are new to the uh, news review, uh, you can always find this on archived on youtube.com TNWAC and also as a podcast if you subscribe to podcasts on soundcloud.com slash TNWAC. Okay, well, thanks for that, Jillian. We're going to turn to our first topic, which is the uh, global COVID update. Uh, we, uh, we haven't done this uh, for a couple of weeks. Um, it seemed to dominate uh, our reporting, but uh, last week, uh, I think, uh, Dick, what was it? China was, uh, was really heating up the news?
2: Yeah, it was last week, but uh, COVID is, uh, is active. And oh, it's, sure. It's not better
0: yeah uh and and you can see the uh, the total uh, infections uh, globally is uh over 8 million uh, deaths 440,000 uh, from the pandemic and you can also see the uh the chart of uh of uh, it climbing um the number of cases uh, daily new cases um, it uh, hits some peaks and valleys but uh, it's the trend line is, uh, uh, is is still in a worrisome situation uh, same with uh, daily deaths globally uh, that uh, the uh, the pace is has sort of leveled off um, and and not uh, not good news uh, the United States continues to lead the world we're four percent of the population uh, but we have uh, a very large number of the infections out of the total 2.1 million uh, deaths 118 thousand out of that. 440,000 uh, globally. Uh, to the right, you can see the Tennessee daily uh, infections. As of June 15th, we had 728. So uh, we are hitting peaks and valleys, uh, but uh, we're still at a very high rate, and it continues to be uh, to be worrisome. Uh, Dick, you want to talk about the, some of the, the snapshots of uh, what's happening in uh, particular areas, especially the what is coming to be a new epicenter?
2: Sure, let's start off with uh, Latin America and um, Peru, Mexico, Chile, Ecuador, and of course Brazil are all kind of considered hotspots these days. Brazil uh, is led by a populist leader who basically said that this virus was nothing worse than a bad cold. Uh, They're getting hit hard because they didn't shut down, they didn't do social distancing, they didn't do the things that that they should have done. And Brazil is now number two in the world, behind the United States, of course. Uh, Number three is Russia. Number four is India. So in Mexico and Chile and Ecuador and Brazil, there are real struggles and troubles going on. Chile has extended its state of catastrophe orders by another 90 days so that the government can enforce quarantine restrictions. And Peru announced its economy has shrunk by 40%. In April, when compared with April of last year.
0: Yeah, I know when we've uh, talked about uh, the COVID pandemic in the past, you you made excellent uh, points about the impact uh, globally, uh, not just uh, taxing the health system, but also uh, taxing the uh, stability of some of these countries that that really just can't stand up to uh, situations like a 40% well, the, the, the decline. In,
2: in many of these countries is, is not as robust. I mean, you know, we've had, had a lot of problems in the United States. Are we going to have a meat shortage? Are we going to have this? Are we going to have yeah. that? People have been lining up to get food and things of that sort. And we're one of the richest countries in the world. So when you're talking about countries where that infrastructure isn't there, the health system is not really there, uh, it creates a huge problem. So Latin America is one issue. Uh, China is still back in the news again. And it appears that there was a dozen new cases that are related to some kind of a wholesale food market in Beijing. So they've imposed another lockdown. And uh, many neighborhoods are feeling the pinch. Yeah. South Africa and Egypt have seen the largest outbreak so far in Africa. But testing rates are reported to be extremely low in some parts of the continent. So the count there is really uh, kind of a best shot. But they don't have the sophisticated infrastructure to be able to, to track the cases as in other places. Um, and in Europe, moving on to Europe, the UK, Italy, Spain, and France, um, they are still having issues, but many of the countries in Europe did do what they we were asked to do by their scientific leadership, and they are now beginning to ease restrictions. Uh, how far they can ease that along, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, the idea of a second wave coming down the road later in the, in the, at the end of the summer is still talked about quite a bit. And moderate to high chances that some of these uh, easing offs will have to be put back into lockdown. again. So we are not out of this by any means at all.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, let's, uh, let's move on to topic two, the US-Iraq uh, strategic talks. And that, uh, that got going last Thursday um, with uh, a delegation from the United States uh, participating with uh, leadership uh, from Iraq. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll get our screen back up here, the uh, the strategic review uh, involved, uh, as I said, the uh, the, the representation from um, United States, here we go. And the uh, the main issues uh, that uh, are going to be addressed are US troop presence. And and we know that uh, President Trump has uh, uh, been an advocate for getting uh, us troops out of places like uh, like Iraq uh, but they've uh, they've been deployed there to perform important missions like uh, dealing with Isis uh, and last week there was a, a very good article by uh, Samia Cowab uh, writing for AP uh, on the 11th and and he laid out uh, what the strategic talks are, are all about and basically uh, it's been a, a much anticipated event in the relationship and uh, it would uh, address all of the issues in the relationship, but that Washington probably would be prioritizing uh, the issue of the future of its forces uh, in the country. Uh, For uh, Iraq's part, uh, Baghdad is probably going going to be concerned about uh, the dire economic crisis that it finds itself in uh, for two reasons. One, for the pandemic uh, that uh, has not spared Iraq. And in fact, Iraq is uh, a a, uh, really... um, been uh, put upon by the uh, the fact that Iran was an epicenter of uh, the breakout of, of COVID in the Middle East. And uh, there's a lot of uh, um, community spread going on between Iraq and Iran with uh, people uh, trading and moving back and forth. So Iraq was uh, nearby to uh, Iran, which was an epicenter there. So uh, all this comes, um, uh, as well with the uh, decline in oil prices. So Iraq is, is having uh, economic issues. Uh, that well, you,
2: you also had, Pat, the, the sort of t- tensions between the United States, Iran, and Iraq all coming together, particularly following yeah. the US airstrike in January that killed the Iranian General Soleimani
0: yeah.
2: outside of a Baghdad airport. And then uh, problems with an Iraqi mi- uh, militia. And then the Iraqi parliament in a non-binding vote, basically took a res- passed a resolution saying that all US troops should leave the country. Yeah. So these talks are kind of pretty important to put the relationship back on some, some, some level playing field. And the new prime minister, I think, there's a lot of hope being built up that he's the man that can get this thing done properly.
0: Well, I'd, I'd, uh, I believe he has a good relationship with uh, the United States. Uh, the uh, the leadership in Iraq had been in limbo for uh, some time, but now Prime Minister Mustafa al Academy, uh has taken over, and and he has a, a good relationship with uh, his American uh, interlocutors. So uh, keep your keep your eye on what's going on there in Iraq uh, with this uh, strategic review. It uh, it may be impacted by the uh, presidential elections um, as as foreign policy. Uh, finds its way into the conversation, so we'll we'll see what happens there.
2: By our presidential elections coming up. Our,
0: our presidential elections. Yeah. Well, this this uh, strategic review is is expected to uh, uh, to take some time. That that uh, is forecast to to drag out for months. So it, it's going to run smack into uh, the November twenty, uh, the November third. Uh, elections, uh, presidential elections. So there's gonna be uh, some impact there. Uh, let's move on to uh, topic three. And uh, Jillian, you, uh, you have, uh, you've got the wheel.
1: Yes, sir. All right. So let me move this bar out of the way.
0: Topic three is uh, the Global Peace Index. And uh, Jillian's gonna uh, talk about uh, what uh, happened last week in the release of the 2020 report.
1: Yeah, so I wanted to go ahead and just start by giving a little background about what the Global Peace Index was for anyone who may not know. Um, It is a report that is uh, released every year by the Institute for Economics and Peace, and it ranks 163 of the world's countries using 23 different indicators on a scale of one to five. And that scale is one being the best, five being the worst. Um, And of these 163 countries, it's about 99% of the globe's population. So they try to take into account most everyone in the world um, in ranking this, you know, level of peacefulness. And some of these indicators are listed out here to the right, Um, as you can see, they include things like intensity of organized internal conflicts, um, but they also include, you know, deaths due to external conflicts, as well as um, expenditures on military, uh, and incarceration rates. So they really try to cover everything related to internal peace as well as external, making it a very holistic review of uh, the state of the world. Oh, it's not letting me click to the next slide.
2: Jillian. you've got these, these criteria that they're using, they're broken into three areas, right? If you go back to that right? You've got militarization measures, social yes, safety sir. and security measures, and then domestic and international conflict. So in, there are countries where there's a domestic conflict going on and I think the United States gets whacked a little bit because of what we've been doing in this country. We're not as peaceful as we might be. So
1: Yeah, most definitely. And that's something I was gonna um, touch on later was the U.S. actually falls uh, decently low in this ranking. We rank 121st out of 163 countries. Um, But interestingly enough, for the first time in about four years, the U.S. had a slight rise in our level of peacefulness as calculated by the Global Peace Index. Um, And that was entirely due to uh, President Trump's removal of troops from the Middle East. Um, And this, you know, incredibly decreased our level of uh, measures of ongoing domestic and international conflicts because we had far fewer deaths um, occurring in foreign grounds um, in the U.S. military and like whether that be by accident or you know what have you, um, and then far fewer external conflicts listed just because of our presence there. So that was what really caused the U.S. to kind of have an increased mm-hmm. level of peacefulness. Um, but you're right, yeah, that, it definitely.
2: So you're going to tell us where the best places are?
1: Oh yes, sir, of course.
2: Okay, we're gonna um, right now I'm I'm messing up your presentation. So <laughs> you're <laughs>
1: all good. Um, so yeah, so next I was going to go over some just general key highlights for the fourth year running we had a decrease in international peace. It was only by 0.34%, but um, like I said, it's been four years running that we've had consistent decreases going on. Um, However, 81 countries did become more peaceful as you can see here and 80 um, deteriorated. But from 2019 to 2020, there were no countries that moved more than one or two spots within the rankings. There was no uh, countries that we saw having any unexpected jumps or falls in. in their peace rankings. So it ended up being a pretty standard, I would say, uh, GPI index. But moving on to improvements in peace, the most peaceful country remains Iceland. Iceland has been ranked as one of the most peaceful countries for the entirety of the 14 year span that the GPI has been released, but it's been number one for quite a few of those years. Um, Over here listed to the left were the five most improved countries. Um, And it'll tell you what rank they currently place, as well as how far they rose in the ranking. Um, But Azerbaijan and Armenia had the largest improvements of any two countries, rising 15 and 12 places. Um, Both, interestingly enough, are ranked above the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, And then here listed to the side, of course, Russia and Eurasia Eurasia had the largest regional improvements. Um, and Europe still remains the most peaceful region. Um, even though the thing that kind of hits Europe is the political instability, and with ongoing bre- Brexit talks and stuff like that, people were potentially thinking that that could impact the GPI for this, but it, it ended up not being that large of an issue. Um, and then,
0: Interesting stuff.
1: Yeah. All of, those, um, all of those
2: countries are ranked higher than the United States, right, on the previous thing? What'd you yes, say sir. we were one one thirty something?
0: One twenty-one.
1: One twenty one. So oh, South okay. Africa so ranked South two Africa. below us. <laughs> but um yeah, most of them are ranked above the United States.
0: Honduras um, is above us, Dick.
2: Yeah, they've they've done a little bit better job on controlling domestic violence going on and taking on the gangs. I think that must have had something to do with it. Yeah.
1: Uh, and then as far as deteriorations in peace go, the least peaceful country remains Afghanistan and similar to Iceland. It's been in the bottom 10 um, for quite a while and it's been the number one least peaceful country uh, for several years running now. Um, the two most deteriorated countries were Benin and Nicaragua, um, but as you can see the top five deteriorations are over here to the left. Um, But then again, interestingly enough, some of these also rank pretty high above the United States. As you can say, Chile is 45, and that had one of the um, largest falls. Um, And then South America, Central America had the largest regional deteriorations, um, and the Middle East remains the least peaceful country. Um, But this little note from the GPI itself did say, however, it did improve on deaths from terrorism and internal conflicts, which is generally what prevents it from being considered a peaceful region in the world. Um, And we kind of already touched on it earlier, but I was going to just kind of say here, you know, how does the U.S. fall in this? We fall 121 out of 163 countries. That's, you know, pretty smack dab in the middle. Um, Like I said earlier, they rank them on a one to five uh, indicator scale, and then they um, average those numbers. So for reference, Iceland's ranking is, what, a one point... 28, or wait, no, a Um, 1.078, and the U.S. is a 2.307, and Afghanistan is 3.66. So the U.S. really does fall right in the middle of these rankings, um, which is just interesting to note, especially as Ambassador Bowers was saying, you know, we have a lot of internal conflicts going on, especially uh, in our world right now.
0: And I think you mentioned one of the factors considered is uh, involvement in overseas uh, conflicts. Yes, sir. Well, we, we're, we're certainly stretching ourselves out there in that category.
1: Yeah, which is why um, I kind of said this earlier as well, that the United States for the first time in four years had an increase in our level of peace as calculated by the GPI. And that was purely due to removal of troops from foreign soil. So it kind of shows you like how large of an impact that had on our rankings um, in past years.
0: An increase so in, in being more peaceful.
1: Yes, yes, we've been decidedly more peaceful over the past year. Um, so a, a, low, of
0: a lower number is good, but increasing is good as well.
1: Yeah, it's a kind of a confusing set of vernacular, but...
0: <laughs> well, Dick, Iceland, I, I don't know if uh, too cold for you, although you, you go to cold places. I, I think uh, New Zealand is in the top five, and, and you seem to like the, the Kiwis a lot. I like lately. them both.
2: I like them both. And, and Iceland, you know, Iceland and Greenland... Uh, Somebody screwed up somewhere when these countries got named, because Iceland really (laughs) should be Greenland, and Greenland should be Iceland. You know, Iceland has a lot of glaciers, but they're all wonderful, and they've got thermal baths. Iceland is a wonderful country. Um, I've spent time there a little bit, and you know, the idea of showing up in the springtime in Iceland and having a wonderful summer, and then as it starts getting cold, Hopping on a plane and heading south to the Kiwis, who are just going to be beginning spring when winter's going to be started on Iceland. You could do six months there and six months here. You, you've it got, got
1: it all. You've got, got it, it all figured out. out.
2: A couple of weeks, if you wanted to, right? And and, and then
1: oh, I was going to say New Zealand is number two in GPI, so you'd be going just one to two. You'd always be set. I,
2: I, I, and and, and my presence would not impact adversely on their peacefulness. I promise you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, and, and uh, New Zealand is now certified uh, COVID-free.
2: Yeah, that's amazing.
0: So they're 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 doing something right uh, down Oh there. yeah.
2: Well, they've oh. got that wonderful lady Prime Minister, right? Yeah, Put women in charge and things, good things happen.
0: No argument here. <laughs> um, i for that. While we're talking about uh, peace and indexes and things, uh, just remind everybody that uh, tonight. Uh, June 16th at 7 p.m. Central Time, uh, Nancy Lindborg, the president of the U.S. Institute of Peace, will be our guest on the Global Dialogue webinar. Uh, I'll be talking with Nancy about the the USIP, uh, its role in building peace in conflict areas around the world, especially in the time, this time of uh, the pandemic, uh, and uh, what she sees ahead in terms of transformations in, in the the global landscape. So tune in tonight, the webinar at 7 p.m. Tuesday, June 16th. If uh, you're watching this as a recording, uh, you can go to the archive at youtube.com slash TNWAC, and you'll find that program and many others uh, at your fingertips. Okay, Dick, I think uh, it's time to move on to uh, topic four. The, um, uh, as, as you mentioned, it's the uh, phenomenon of uh, our civil rights protests uh, being uh, replicated around the world and uh, and others uh, taking up uh, the issue whether it's uh, to uh, to bolster the American um, what's happening in America or some of them are adapting uh, this time to uh, issues that they may have at home uh, and we uh, we selected uh, an article uh, from the Council on Foreign Relations that posted today, uh, it's titled How U.S. Civil Protests Resonate with publics Worldwide. So you can find the complete article on the CFR.org website. And it's, uh, it's a global memo by uh, the Council of Councils, which is a collaboration of global think tanks. And we uh, we picked out three of these inputs from uh, fellows, uh, senior fellows at various uh, institutes uh, around the world. Uh, the first one uh, that we'll, uh, we'll make some uh, points from and do a little extract is from uh, Johannes Thim, senior fellow at the America's Research Division, the German Institute for International and Security Affairs. Uh, he- you he uh, The
2: slide, you've got the Iraqi slide up there.
0: Ah, well, thanks, thanks for that. We wouldn't want to- uh, uh, There you go. Okay. Can you still uh still the right one?
2: No, you still got. You went back to the Iraqis.
0: Okay. Well, we'll uh, we'll get back to the screen and uh, and get our slides sorted out. But uh, what I wanted to say was that uh, Johannes Dem, the senior fellow um, in uh, in Germany, he commented that uh, the the death of uh, of Mr. Floyd in the aftermath, uh, they've made uh, headlines around the world uh, and he makes the point that uh, the good news is that the United States still holds the world's attention and people care about what happens uh, in the US. Uh, many Europeans no longer see US political institutions as exemplary, uh, but they hold the United States to uh, the highest standard of democracy and that the high turnout of protests uh, reveals a deep concern for the developments in America. This, this is the high turnout of protests in places like Berlin and and elsewhere. Uh, it's it uh, it shows an awareness among Europeans that uh, their region also suffers from systemic racism. So it's not just uh,
2: Pat. I, I they cannot fathom why we would continue to have in the United States statues of Civil War Confederate individuals. Yeah people who were revolted against the United States, fought against the United States, uh, embraced racism, owned slaves, and somehow these people end up as statues that we're supposed to admire. I, I think this, this, what's going on now is going to change all that statuary around the United States. But not, not only us, yeah. right? the Brits are getting rid of some of their slaveholders. And people are beginning to kind of second guess even Winston Churchill and what he did or didn't do as a young man in South Africa. These kinds of so this resonates around the world and basically reflects the fact the United States has a deep reservoir of goodwill among people because of our values. Um, That's been tarnished the last couple of years. Yep, for sure. Still there.
0: Well, uh, we'll we'll have uh, a couple more comments here, and then we'll move on. Uh, the senior fellow from the East Asia Institute, Suk-Jung Lee, uh, commented that uh, the world is watching how the Trump administration handles the civil unrest, and that the United States uh, is currently suffering from the highest number of pandemic-related deaths and cases, uh, and that uh, she commented that the world is astonished uh, that the U.S. is focusing uh, on, the, on these issues that we, we still, as you, as you mentioned, uh, that we still have uh, these issues that, to resolve.
2: Um, well, you know, we, we in the past and in the, in the present, we, we often hold ourselves up as being, oh, we're the good guys. You yep. people over there, you need to do something about your democracy. You need to do something about your rule of law. And it's kind of bad right now when it's looked like, you know, hey, we've got problems ourselves, so we're going to have to really deal with them.
0: All right. Well, she, she finishes with the comment that the uh, Trump administration uh, has already damaged the image of America as a beacon of democracy by pulling out of the UN Human Rights Council and the World Health Organization, and ends with the comment that if America democracy is not assured, US leadership in global democracy will be diminished. Uh, so that's uh, that's a message that carries through uh, these articles. And uh, just the, the last comment here, Uh, from Leslie uh, Vingamori from Chatham House uh, in London, uh, who notes that uh, in the short term, it does not bode well for the U.S. democracy and undercuts the appeal of the U.S. model, thereby setting a natural limit on the country's uh, global uh, power. And uh, in a a separate uh, posting on the uh, CFR website, Daniel Schieffer wrote, uh, what does it mean to lose credibility in the defense of fundamental rights abroad? Uh, the millions of oppressed people in foreign societies will face further hardship as authoritarian governments crack down. The sense that the United States remains committed to the rule of law is crucial for foreigners at risk because they often need the strength of U.S. credibility and influence to protect their own rights. So mm-hmm. that's uh, those are some comments that were... Um, Posted on the CFR.org from the Council of Councils. Uh, there are several other uh, fellows uh, from around the world who have contributed. So uh, take a look at uh, the website uh, to read more about the you know, Pat, impressions if, being made around the world.
2: If, uh, if you got some extra time sometime, I, I would suggest to our watchers and, and listeners Christian who who is a CNN. Reporter for a number of years and, and a lot of hot spots, including the Middle East. Sure. But she now has a nightly talk show where she interviews people of great wisdom and depth from around the world about what's going on. And uh, it's on NPR2 here in Nashville, so it's the second channel. But it, it's a, a very good program. And, and she just had a number of Europeans on talking about this particular topic. And one of the Germans she had on said something about she just can't understand how the Americans keep extolling these Confederate war veterans. That's uh, kind of like, should we put up some statues to Nazis in Germany? And he said nobody would ever allow such a thing like that to happen.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: And, and I think we ought to. By the way, this is just Dick Powers in his personal statement. Nathan Bedford Forrest has a bust in the in the State House of Tennessee, and that's got to go, and it should be replaced by Dolly Parton.
0: Well, that's uh, that's going around the social media. So there you go. <laughs> uh, I, I I think uh, I would I would be uh, getting behind that uh, myself. Uh, Jillian, any any thoughts on on these protests around the world, the the impact of uh, thousands and thousands of young people taking to the streets and Uh, not just in the United States, but around the world, making their feelings known? Jillian, can you hear me? Yeah,
1: I mean, I think, yes. Can you hear me?
0: Yep, go ahead.
1: I got a little unstable there for a second. Um, Yeah, I think it speaks a lot to the impact the United States has around the world, the fact that the goings-on and the repercussions of what happens on our on our country's soil and what is, you know, done by our citizens does have impact on, you know, the thoughts and minds of other people. And I think that it has given a platform for a lot of really powerful people to step up and um, do work. I know in Nashville, one of our largest protests was organized by some high school girls, and they managed to have 10,000 people come out in support of the Black Lives Matter movement right here in our city. Peacefully. Um, Peacefully, yes, completely peacefully. And so I think it's giving a really great platform for people to recognize their activism and you know, gain voice. Um, and I'm totally on board for the Dolly Parton bust. I did see that this morning and it was a very exciting um, possibility.
0: Well, I, I can't think of a better Tennessean to be a representative in, in the, the Capitol.
2: She has touched the lives of thousands and thousands of young Tennesseans through her Imagination Library project. For right. Kids get a book a month, you know, it's
0: amazing. Right. And, and you may recall a, a couple of years ago, the the fires up in the Smokies that had devastated Gatlinburg and and she stepped in to provide financial relief to people who were out of work when things were burned down and, and uh, really uh, stepped up. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you Dick on the, on Dolly. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's push that forward. Okay. Well, let's wrap up with our, our last uh, topic, which is uh, press freedom under attack. Uh, the case of the Philippines, and we're gonna try one more uh, shot at uh, our slides, and if uh, we can't get uh, the Philippines up. Dick, how are we doing? Can you see yep. the Philippines? You
2: got it, number five, the case uh, of the Philippines. You got it. Rodrigo Duterte, it's up there on the map showing where the Philippines are in Asia.
0: And uh, do you wanna start off uh, the, the comment about the uh, 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 the case of uh, Maria Reza?
2: Well, basically, what has happened is the Philippines court has convicted a top Philippine journalist, Maria Reza. Um, and the question is, you know, what, is, what, what happens now? It's under appeal. But um, ever since uh, Duterte was elected president of the Philippines in 2016, journalists have warned that his open disdain for the media would put press freedoms in the country at risk. And on Monday, uh, the authorities found Maria Reza was an internationally recognized journalist guilty of uh, libel under the cyber crimes law of the Philippines. So now as,
0: as I recall, she was uh, among the journalists when uh, Time selected as the person of the year journalists who were, were stepping up. I think that was in 2018.
2: I think that's absolutely correct. And I just mentioned Christiana Amanpour because she interviewed Maria Reza several, three or four weeks ago, before all this happened, about what's going on in the Philippines with the journalism. But basically, I don't know, Pat, do you want to go into the background on this? I think- um, Yeah,
0: I, I, uh, the, uh, the story was that uh, she runs a website uh, called Rappler uh, in Manila, and they published an article Uh, linking a local businessman to illegal activities, and uh, they they based that on a, uh, they didn't uh, name the intelligence report, but they said that they had reporting uh, that this uh, businessman had uh, been involved in activities, and he sued under this uh, cybercrime law, and uh, uh, there was uh, some back and forth as to whether the uh, statute of limitations had run out, but uh, the court uh, decided to press ahead. Um, and uh, the critics of, of the case say that uh, the case against uh, RaSA uh, and Rappler was politically motivated. Uh, and as you not- noted, uh, Rodrigo Duterte, the president of the Philippines, is no fan of journalists. And he's been you know, kind of a, a se- separate story is the criticism of Duterte as being, um, you know, he's democratically elected, but he's uh, certainly filling the, the autocratic uh, authoritarian um, model in the Philippines and, and uh, doing things like uh, going after journalists. Uh, he's also uh, uh, sort of uh, put in place a, uh, a legal framework where drug dealers uh, there, there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of drug dealers have been killed, and uh, the critics uh, say that these are extrajudicial killings, and Duterte is uh, really pushing hard um, the, the law and order uh, regime. He there,
2: bragged about the fact that he has summarily executed some drug dealers. I mean,
0: he... Right when I think he was uh, a, a regional, uh, a provincial uh-huh. governor at the time. Uh, So this uh, this case really sends a chill, uh, not just in the Philippines, but uh, around the world where uh, freedom of the press is uh, is under fire. And um, uh, as noted in the article that we uh, we were uh, looking at uh, about this, that uh, not only in authoritarian countries, but in in vibrant democracies like the Philippines, uh, where populist leaders are eroding institutions. Uh, the Watchdog Freedom House has found that over the past five years uh, press freedom has declined in sixteen of the world's freest countries Including so that's a, ours the, uh, yeah you know, we 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 certainly have with the uh, attack on
2: fake news right?
0: well and and calling the uh, the press the enemy the people yeah uh, horrible it it undermines the uh, faith in in the free press and and the and the uh, the press is freedom of the press is in the uh, constitution because it's a a bulwark against uh, authoritarianism. In, in indispensable
2: for a functioning democracy.
0: Yeah. So William, so
2: get out there and fix it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so in the case of Risa, we'll try uh, my best. She she faces up to six years in prison, uh, a stiff uh, penalty for for this cyber crime. Uh, but uh, she has some appeals uh, working it, their ways through uh, the Philippine justice system. But uh, she and Rappler also face another seven charges. Yeah. So uh, that's, uh, that, that's a worrisome sign um, that uh, we need to be uh, on the lookout for. Um, just a reminder for our, our participants in the webinar, uh, if you have some questions please drop them into the q and a box and we'll we'll take those up and in the meantime uh jillian th- welcome to the news review family now that uh you've uh, you've co-hosted um and we uh we appreciate uh, you being uh, involved in that uh, any any comments you'd uh, like to have about the the news this week or the world affairs council or WorldQuest or missing boston or uh <laughs> Yet you, you haven't become a Bruins fan. every
1: day. I love the fact that you would accuse me of something so horrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I love Boston. Don't love the Bruins. I love the Tennessee World Affairs Council, and everybody should do World Quest. <laughs> I guess those oh, are okay. in my
2: so Terrific. Jillian, before the summer's over, I don't know what's going to happen. You're going to go back to school. But uh, right now, my daughter-in-law will be starting her residency, uh, medical residency at Brigham and Williams, Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. So if, if she gets That's back so there exciting. and you get back there, you two have to meet because she's quite an amazing woman. Well,
0: Boston's yes, a great, great town. I I uh, I've been there several times, had uh, great fun, enjoyed uh, the hospitality, and uh, look forward to getting back one of these days. But uh, you'll be back there before the rest of us are going back. Is as, as Wellesley, um, have you heard what their plans are for on-campus on, on campus, uh, live classes, or is it gonna be online?
1: We have not heard yet. They're. Really- leasing our official decision on on July 1st um but i have a feeling we'll be going back i uh i have faith
0: okay well we we wish you well with that and and we're looking forward to working with you over the summer uh, at the world affairs council well um thanks to uh, everybody for uh, participating today uh our attendees uh thanks um, uh, it's it's a birthday in the Bowers uh, household, so uh, Ambassador, I, I guess you're yeah. off to uh, uh, celebrate uh, your lovely wife. Well, Kate. we
2: celebrate hey. in, but I'm I'm. There's a wonderful restaurant called Char that has excellent mm-hmm. steaks, so we're we're giving up our vegan lifestyle and going whole hog <laughs> tonight. So. Actually, it's whole <laughs> cow because it's you know filet mignon. Well, it's,
0: well, it's yeah. very good. You'll have to tell them that uh, you you gave them a little promotion on. I've got I've got the, I've got, the, the
2: uh, got the the patio furniture cleaned up, so if the weather holds, we'll sit outside and enjoy birthday.
0: Excellent. Well, happy birthday to Kay and and. Uh, Thank you. Thanks again for uh, coming out for the news review, Jillian. Uh, thanks for your presentation on the Global Peace Index. That was uh, terrific uh, information. And uh, that's it for the. Uh, June 16th edition of the News Review. Uh, Thank you all for participating and please be safe. Take care.